Wow. You may be seated. This morning we are talking about forgiveness. And uh, it is Christ who kind of ex- is that great example of forgiveness. And, uh, you know, I don't make a mistake when we start talking about forgiveness. It's not an easy subject. It's a, it's a difficult subject sometimes for us to talk about because it's so difficult to do. When others have hurt us, when others have wounded us, it's, it's not so easy to move forward with forgiveness. And I know that, uh, you know, I've heard it taught about forgiveness, like, and I've been hurt by someone, and someone's taught, like, oh, well, you just, you make the decision about forgiveness, and then you move forward with it. And that's the totality of their teaching on it. And if, if you've been in spots like that, you know that making the decision, it's not good enough. And if that's all you do, you just end up being frustrated by why aren't I moving forward? Because your intellect and your will, it's a good place to start, but it's not the same as when we get to the move of our heart and we move forward with forgiveness. And God begins to help us with this idea of totally forgiving someone, totally releasing them. Because I believe that God wants to set every one of us free, really to have freedom so we can release others and we can experience it for ourselves. Forgiving someone is what we want to do this whole month. And so that's what we're going to talk about this entire month, about what it means to totally forgive someone and feel the freedom. Not just make the decision, that's the start, but really move ourselves forward with feeling the freedom that God offers to us. Now, this morning we're going to talk a little bit, start off the series, we talked about why should I forgive? And there are a lot of good reasons for it. And so I consulted with some people that are just guys are like, they've got a lot of life experience, and um, I think you're going to learn a lot from them about why to forgive. So let's just, let's just take a peek at some real wisdom here. Why do we need to forgive? If there wasn't forgiveness in the world, God wouldn't even forgive us. Forgiveness is like giving somebody a second chance. And God always wants us to give us second chances to other people. Because otherwise, if we didn't forgive, we might lose all our friends. Because we would just say, I'm not your friend. You're not my friend anymore because you did something wrong. You messed up my stuff. And then everybody would have no friends except imaginary friends. <laughs> I love that kid. I love when he goes, you messed up my stuff. But he's right, like if we're not careful, like there's a lot of things that can wreck our relationships around us, but more importantly, it does something on our interior. And if you've, we all have people in our life, I know that you do, people that you need to forgive, people who you feel like they owe you something. We spend a lot of time in our lives keeping score, tallying up things that people have said, um, maybe not even to harm us, but we know they've hurt us and they've wounded us. And if you have that kind of person in your life, the kind of person that, like, when they walk into the room, you can just feel your blood boiling. When you are around them, you just want to think about how to get away from them. And if you're in that place, then probably there's something underneath there around forgiveness, about you not yet forgiving them. And if that wound, that, that hurt, hurts that way, it's good chance that it's infected. And this morning, what I want to talk to you about is how that affects our relationship with God. If that wound is infected, so is your relationship with Christ. 
And so why should I forgive? Because it's this core essential element of our faith. It's everything that Christ has set for us as an example, and it's a gift to us. But to get started, I know when something hurts, you need motivation to get started. And so I want to talk about two motivating factors this morning that Jesus speaks about that God gives us to help us understand why we should get started. So why should I forgive? Get out your outline this morning. Let's talk about because, first of all, when I choose to punish others, when I get into this mode of I'd rather punish you than forgive you, I choose to forfeit intimacy with God. I choose to give up this idea of intimacy. For when we get into that mode of punishment, you ever notice how much energy that takes? Like we can really go down a lot of paths with it. We can begin to spin things in your mind. For example, some of you, when you get out on the road and you're driving, right, and you're in a hurry to get someplace, and that person that's like they're at the intersection, and you can see them, like they're edging out like, Wait for it, wait for it. Oh, he's right on me. I'm going to pull out right in front of him, right? And you have to slam on your brakes, and then they go half the speed. Like, does this happen to some of you guys? Okay, some of you have inventions, right, to take care of that, don't you? How many have created inventions to take care of that person? Okay, good. So one other, So you and I are the only realty people in the room, but that means we're really creative, right? Like, I've got creative inventions like rocket things that come out from the side of the car with magnets on them. They attach to their car, and they just hurry them along a little bit so that I can get going. Or that person that cuts you off, and you have that big spatula that goes out from your car and goes, whoosh, you know, or, you know. There's, it's the dark side of me. But there's, there's all this creative thing we could do. The problem is, is that that same thing that often we do, like when we're driving, often translates to our life when we have a relationship with someone else and they hurt us. And in our mind and our heart, We want them to be punished. We want justice to be served. And by doing so, by taking all that energy and that creative punishment, that licensing, I'm going to figure out how to bring justice to you. I'm going to punish you. Even if it's just in my mind, it leaves a little space for God's love in our life. It leaves a little space for God to work, and it begins to consume us. And the Bible teaches us that we ought to give up the right to punish. That it's not really our right in the first place, and we're to give it up because When we give up that right, we begin to rebuild intimacy with God. When we don't, we forfeit that intimacy. I want to look at the Lord's Prayer this morning. Um, When the the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray. We looked at this a few weeks ago in our prayer series, and Pastor John taught on it. And the whole context of this prayer is the disciples coming to Jesus and saying, listen, we have seen this relationship you have with the Father, and you have this intimacy. Like we, We've been taught to pray, but we don't pray like you do. We don't have this connection with God the way you do. I, we don't understand it. Will you teach us how to have fellowship, how to have connection with God at that level? That's what we really want. And so Jesus teaches them the Lord's Prayer. And so the whole context of this prayer, the whole purpose of it, is to bring us into a daily connection, an intimate connection with God. So I want to look at it, and I want to look at how it helps us understand forgiveness. All right, Matthew 5, 6, 9 through 15. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay, so that's the segment of the Lord's Prayer and you can see it building towards intimacy as it talks, addresses first Father, Abba, Daddy. 
come like we want what you want. We want to be in connected to you. Give us our daily bread. Like, I want this daily flow of God from you, God, what I need in my life. So come and invest that into me. And then there's this pivot point, this thing in the prayer that happens when Jesus then says, and forgive us our debts. Now, if you've ever been in that spot at the cross, if you've been following Jesus and you've made a commitment to follow Jesus, you probably have had this moment and at the foot of the cross where you know what Christ did for you on the cross. You know that the blood covered all of those faults. You know that you have sins in your life, and you felt the weight of those things that have offended God and have hurt others and destroyed and caused destruction in your own life. You felt the weight of them, and you came to the cross, and you said, Jesus, forgive me. I can't bear the weight of it anymore. I can't continue the way I'm going. I need to be released from this. Lead me. And if you felt that you know, you know what freedom that gives. You know what weight gets lifted and how it builds a connection with God again when you go and you are truly repentant and say, God, forgive me. You know what happens. It's very intuitive to most of us. And if you've experienced it, you know that intimacy that happens. But what's counterintuitive is this mystery that Jesus is explaining in this prayer. This thing that we don't really get, but that he makes attached to each other. He says, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven others. He's saying, really, to enjoy intimacy with the Father, it's not only essential to receive forgiveness, it's essential to give forgiveness. Because your intimacy with the Father depends on both. And that's what's not intuitive to us. We don't recognize that this whole prayer is about intimacy with God, this daily flow of God into our life. And if we want daily intimacy and connection with God, if we really want to know God and enjoy him daily, then it's not just forgiveness we need to ask for, it's forgiveness we must grant. And God asks us to do that. Forgiveness is such a huge subject in this prayer. Jesus mentions it in the prayer, and then he gets done and says, so that's how you pray? Oh, and by the way, in case you didn't hear what I mentioned earlier, if you've ever had someone around you who, like, they're having this conversation with you and they keep bringing the same thing up, right? Like, hey, and, hey, and, and you, you kind of acknowledge it and try to move on and they come back to it again, it means they want you to pay attention to it, right? Some of us call that nagging, okay? So those of you who do it a lot, just know that's what's happening. This is Jesus' way of nagging us and saying, forgive, forgive. Forgive. In fact, at the end of this prayer, this is what he says. This raises the bar. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others your sins, their sins, the Father will not forgive you yours. Wow. I mean, you, you feel it right in there? Like, what just happened? Like, I'm not just saying, like, hey, that's a good idea. I'm saying if you want connection with God, it's the idea. It's the central part of this passage. Now, I want to unpack that for a second so you really get this. First of all, forgiveness, this word that Jesus uses in this passage, actually means to send away. The idea here is this sending away, like it talks about in Scripture, that our sins are buried in the deepest ocean. When Christ forgives us, when God grants us forgiveness, he buries those sins in the deepest ocean. They don't just disappear. They don't just get erased. They get buried and put away. As far as the east is from the west is his forgiveness for us. Okay? So this word means to send away. Not unlike in the Old Testament, there's a story. And every year, 
the children of God were to have this festival where they would find a goat. And the priest would put all of the sins, all the sins of the people, on of this goat. He would pray over it and put them on the goat, and they would send it off into the desert. And still today we call this the, right, we all know it, thousands of years later, it's the scapegoat. We know what it's called. This is the scapegoat. And so Jesus says, like, you need to send those sins away. When Jesus is talking about forgiveness, he's just not talking about making a decision about something. He's talking about total forgiveness. He's talking about find a way to send those sins away, to bury them in the deepest ocean so that you can be free. Further, he goes on and says, and he puts this this gauntlet down, and I think it's easy to get stuck maybe in thinking that this is about our salvation. Like, well, if I don't forgive somebody, like I'm totally disconnected from God and I'm doomed. And that's not what he's saying because this prayer is not a prayer of like, God, like, could I get connected to you for the first time? Could I follow you? Could I, I want to I be in your kingdom? This is not that prayer. This prayer is a prayer of intimacy with God. And the context of it is really saying, if you want daily connection with God, forgive. So what Jesus is really saying here is this is not so much a matter of salvation as it is a matter of daily connection with God, intimate relationship with God. It's Jesus' way of saying that giving forgiveness is as important to your relationship with God as receiving it. And if you don't give it, you forfeit intimacy with God. It cuts us off from God. Now, I know how easy it is to think like when someone hurts you, when that person keeps wounding you, when someone offends you with their words or their deeds, it's pretty easy to say, you know what? When they repent, when they come to me and they beg for forgiveness, I'll consider it. But I am not forgiving them until they do that. Like I need to see them do that. I need to see them change before I can forgive them. But in our stubbornness, we need to recognize that you have no control over their repentance. You have no control over what... So you choose to live in the prison that you've imprisoned yourself in until you forgive. In fact, according to verses 14 and 15, get this, repentance is not a condition of giving forgiveness. It's a condition of receiving. For you to receive forgiveness from the Father you must give forgiveness. It's not that other person that needs to repent. It's you and me. So that we can repent of our unforgiveness, of our anger, of those hurts. Sometimes it's really hard when you feel like you've done nothing wrong. When you are innocent and you feel like, I, listen, Andrews, I didn't do anything to them. You have no idea how they hurt me, and I've never done anything to them. So don't tell me I need to forgive them. They've hurt me. But God says that in that moment, your repentance is your responsibility. You're seeing this wrong, this this hurt in your own life, your own anger, your own bitterness, your own resentment for wanting to punish them. That repentance is what is needed to bring you to a new place with God, to open the doors again to the Spirit of God so He can work in you and bring you to a new place and release you from all of that. Forgiveness isn't just a gift to the receiver. It's a gift to the giver. Something happens in us when we give and grant forgiveness. 
when I was first married, first getting married, um, there was a couple just elderly people who spoke some real wisdom into my life. And they spoke it very strongly. They said this. They said, if I could give you one piece of advice, it would be this. Never go to bed angry. Don't go to bed angry with your spouse. And you know, for years, I just practiced. I mean, they spoke so strongly in my life. I'm like, well, I guess I'll just do that. You know, I don't know what it's really about, but I'll do it because, they sit, like they said, this is crucial to your marriage. And, um, you know, uh, I think it was Phyllis Diller who said it this way. Never go to bed angry, stay up and fight. And that, you know, there's many times in my marriage, honestly, I was like, we can't go to bed angry. And my wife was like, well, I'm not angry, you are, right? Like, well, I am angry and I can't go to bed like this. We've got to talk it out, we've got to work it out. The truth of the matter is what's down underneath all of that, and I saw this other, uh, this uh, demotivational poster when I was looking this thing up, and it said this, it said, don't go to bed angry, stay up and plot your revenge, right? Isn't that what's really happening? Like, in those moments, if you go to bed angry, you're plotting your revenge. You're thinking of all the ways to punish your spouse, that other person, that person in your life. It is a marriage killer. It is a relationship killer when you harbor that unforgiveness in your life that turns from anger to bitterness to all kind of harshness in your life. Now, if you've been in that situation, you've been hurt, I know that sometimes this feels a little bit like, well, that's all good to say, but does it work? Does it really grant freedom? So I want you to watch the story of uh, Scott and Carmen Biggs. Um, they gave this testimony a little while ago, and um, this is about their relationship, their marriage, early in their marriage, and what happened in their marriage that caused a deep hurt and how forgiveness set them free. Our marriage story isn't particularly pretty or romantic. As a matter of fact, our road has been kind of hard and downright gritty at times. But I suspect that our story is not unlike a lot of other marriages. And I can also say that our story is one that is evidence of God's grace and His forgiveness and His healing in our lives. When I had shut down emotionally all those years ago, I turned to addiction to medicate, not alcohol or drugs, because my father was an alcoholic and I wanted nothing to do with alcohol. I turned to pornography. I was able to keep that hidden for about the first eight years of our marriage. I remember when I discovered Scott's secret, I remember feeling like I had physically been kicked in the stomach. I physically felt nauseous inside. I just sat in stunned disbelief at what I was discovering. And I remember just the flood of emotions that came over me. I felt humiliated, I felt betrayed, I felt angry, I felt frustrated, I felt all of those things all together at one time. At that point, I seriously considered just walking away. I had had enough. I felt like I had been beating my head against the wall for years. My heart felt like it was just done, it wasn't gonna go there anymore. I just, I was finished, I was through. And in my heart, I kind of began a separation. In my heart, I, I believed that's where we were going. And I remember just a little while after everything had fit, hit the fan in our marriage, I remember one morning sitting in my bed and I was talking to God and kind of just crying through, praying through all that was happening. 
having pretty much a pretty good pity party for myself, if I were honest, that's what I was doing. And I remember talking to God that morning, kind of rhetorically asking him questions like, God, this isn't what you want for me, right? This isn't how you want me to live. You don't want me to live in the middle of this marriage that's so broken and hurtful. I've tried as hard as I can try, right? And in the middle of that pity party, I remember so clearly God speaking to me. And I remember him coming to me and him saying in a voice that may as well have been audible, he said, don't play the victim. Don't play the victim. You're not stuck. A true victim has no choice, but you have a choice. And the choice that's on the table for you is that you can walk away from this marriage. It's not the right choice and it carries a whole boatload of consequences you can't even begin to perceive of right now, but that's a choice that's on the table for you. Or, God said to my heart, or you can stay. You can stay and you can work to fix what was broken. But if you stay, don't you dare stay and play the role of the martyr and lick your wounds and pretend that you're a victim. If you stay, you work to restore what's broken. You be the person that I'm asking you to be, regardless of how right or how wrong your husband is, whether healing ever comes or doesn't come for him, you be the person that I've called you to be. God was telling me, you stay and forgive your husband. And at that point, I had to decide, would I forgive him? I was hurt and wounded and I felt like he owed me. But God reminded me that I wasn't an innocent victim. I had my work to do too. And if there was ever going to be healing in me or in this marriage, I was going to have to let God do some work in me so that I could move beyond the poor me attitude and release Scott and myself from what I thought that he owed me. If I was going to be free and work at this marriage, I had to stop working toward punishing him and instead work toward rebuilding our relationship. It was hard and it certainly didn't happen overnight, but slowly the healing process began. There's a verse in the Bible in Isaiah 61 and it says that he trades beauty for ashes. And that's exactly what God was doing inside of us he was taking the things that were so broken, the, the ashes, and he was transforming them into something beautiful, something good, something purposeful. He was trading beauty for ashes, and it was a beautiful thing. Our marriage began to bloom into something that I never really dreamed was ever possible before. Our marriage is still a work in progress. It's not always easy. We still have to work on it, but it is worth it, especially when you realize your wife has become your best friend. We've been married for more than 20 years now, and I can say that though our marriage is far from perfect, it's a marriage that is a beautiful place. It's a place where we respect one another, and we honor one another, and we enjoy one another. And you know, if I could go back and undo all that happened in the past, I, I don't think that I would, because it's grown us to the place where we are now, to the place where I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that I know that our commitment to one another will last for a lifetime. I love how Carmen puts that, that there were ashes in that relationship and God turned it to beauty. And it can feel a lot like when we have, all we have left is ashes in our relationships. All we have is that pain and that hurt and we wonder, can God really change that to beauty? Can God really address that hurt? Can God really set me free? Forgiveness yields 
intimacy. It yields this incredible relationship with God and allows Him to enter into our lives and begin a new work in us. And when we choose not to forgive, when we choose to reject what God's done for us, we won't do it for others. What it really shows is that we're not sufficiently grateful for what God did on the cross. We're not sufficiently grateful for the forgiveness that He's offered us though we sin, though we offend Him, though we hurt others. That forgiveness isn't good enough that we would actually grant it to someone else. Forgiveness. It's easier to punish. It's more natural to punish. But God says you forfeit intimacy when you do. So choose to forgive. Choose to let go. And having intimacy with God is this incredible gift that comes through forgiving others. But it's not easy because all of us live and work in relationships where there are opportunities to offend and to be offended every day. Like you go to work and there's that person that just, you know, they they push your buttons all the time. And they're never coming back and saying, hey, I'm sorry. They just do it. When you have to choose, will I forgive? Will I choose intimacy with God instead of punishing them or pretending that it doesn't exist? Will I say, God, I want something more with you? And so I'm willing to move forward with forgiveness. Some of you probably aren't punishers. You're not the kind of person who says, like, I invent things in my car to take care of the people in front of me. But I would be willing to bet in all of those relationships where offense happens regularly that you're the kind of person who's like the rest of us who finds them judging others, finds themselves casting judgment and making presumptions about why that person's doing that or what they're trying to do, or even when they're not, you make presumptions maybe if they've hurt you in the past, that they're going to hurt you again. And so I want to give you this other motivation that's not just about intimacy with God, but something even greater, something even more measurable in our lives. And that's the why to forgive, because when I choose to judge others instead of forgiving, I miss out on God's greatest blessing in my life. I miss out on this incredible blessing that God wants to give me in my life. Unforgiveness not only blocks our intimacy with God, it actually keeps us from experiencing His blessing. It's easy to judge others, and uh, often when we do, we find ourselves in this place of like, oops, maybe it's not playing out the way I thought it was. There's this great story I found. It's called The Cookie Thief. And it kind of puts on display what many of us live out in regular relationships. So here it is. A woman was sitting at the, waiting at the airport one night with several long hours before her flight. She hunted for a book in the airport shops and bought a bag of cookies and found a place to drop. She was engrossed in her book but happened to see that man sitting beside her, as bold as could be, grabbed a cookie or two from the bag in between which she tried to ignore to avoid a scene. So she munched the cookies and watched the clock as the gutsy cookie thief diminished her stock. She was getting more irritated as the minutes ticked by, thinking, if I wasn't so nice, I'd give him a black eye. With each cookie she took, he took one too. And when only one was left, she wondered what he would do. With a smile on his face and a nervous laugh, he took the last cookie and broke it in half. He offered her half, as he ate the other. 
she snatched it from him and thought, oh, brother, this guy has some nerve and he's also so rude. Why, he didn't even show any gratitude. She had never known when she had been so galled and sighed with relief when her flight was finally called. She gathered her belongings and headed for the gate, refusing to look back at that thieving ingrate. She boarded the plane and sank in her seat, and then she sought her book, which was almost complete. As she reached in her baggage, she gasped with surprise. There was her bag of cookies in front of her eyes. If these are my, if mine are here, she moaned with despair. The others were his, and he tried to share. Too late to apologize, she realized in grief, she was the rude one, the ingrate, the thief. Wow. That's convicting, isn't it? How many of us has been through that scenario where we've laid it out exactly what that other person is doing only to find out that we're as guilty? That we have our own guilt, our own things that we fall short on. When someone hurts you or hurts someone you love, it is so easy to just put it out there, to judge. So ask yourself this question. If God promises blessing, In that hurt, when someone's hurt me or hurt someone I love, would I rather judge them, hold out, like dispense the justice on my own, by myself, in the courtroom alone, or would I rather invite God into that process to bless me and to help me walk through that process? Which would I rather have? It's only natural to want to judge someone. And for some of you, listen, I know, you have experienced as a victim heinous sins against you. Things that people have done wrong, and you have been innocent, and it has hurt deeply. And it's natural for you to want to judge. And for some of you, it's, it's more minor. It's a minor infraction. Or maybe it's just something that you've let add up. You went, ah, that doesn't matter to me, but those scorekeeping things added up until the point where you find yourself in that room with that person and you know they owe you. Jesus speaks to us about this and says, don't let that be your life. In fact, he says in Matthew 7.1, do not judge or you will be judged. Notice Jesus speaks so strongly in these things around forgiveness. He doesn't mince words. He's not tactful. He lays it right out there in front of us because he knows what is at stake. Your relationship with God, your blessedness, the ability to walk through this life and have the empowerment of God is all on the line when you don't forgive, when you decide to judge instead of forgive. So Jesus gives us a stern warning here because he knows that judging is just natural. It just comes in those relationships we have. For instance, in my own life, like, how many of you have ever gone, this is probably, maybe this is a man thing, I don't know, like, how many of you guys have gone looking for something, and you can't find it, and you know someone else in your household placed it someplace else? Huh? Anybody else? Yeah, you know it, right? And, and your wife's guilt only comes to measure when she goes look for it and finds it right away. That just proves she's guilty to you, right? Like, you did move it. And she's like, no, you didn't. No, I didn't move it. So many times I've realized in the midst of it, like hanging my head down going, oh yeah, I did put that there last time when I didn't put it back. That's exactly where it is. 
It's so easy to judge. It's so easy to walk into these places. But Jesus says, don't. Don't do it. Because every time you do it, more often than not, I speak about my own sins, my own shortcomings, my own weaknesses more loudly than theirs. I mean, when I judge my wife about that, I'm really talking about my own weakness, about not putting things back, about not being organized, the things I don't like about myself. My mom once told me when I was complaining about someone, she said, you know, Sean, be careful because the things you don't like about them might just be the things you don't like about yourself. It might just indicate things that you don't like at all. And the problem is that when judging becomes a pattern for us, when we start to do it regularly and carrying out those things in our mind, we're not just judging others. We begin to judge ourselves. This is the essence of what Jesus is saying here. Like, don't judge or you'll be judged. And guess who's doing the judging usually? Guess who's doing the condemnation? You, on yourself. You raise the bar up here and you never get there. You punish yourself. You know you've done the wrong thing. And you self-indict. Jesus says it really well in Matthew 7.1 when he says, don't live under the harsh judgment. Your harsh own judgment. Essentially what it's saying here is that we have this pattern in our life and instead of going to God's throne, instead of going to the throne of Christ, who has been appointed judge over our life and saying, there I find mercy and grace. See, I'm going to go to Jesus because I know what he did to offer me forgiveness. And I know that he won't offer me condemnation. He'll say to me, listen, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. Don't do that again, but don't, I don't condemn you. Instead, we go to the throne of our own life, and there we find ourselves pointing the finger. And we don't find mercy and grace for ourselves. We find condemnation. God says, don't judge, because you're not qualified. Sometimes judging others even becomes this way of avoiding the spirit of forgiveness. Avoiding this issue of forgiveness because it hurts so deeply inside of us that we are not willing to go there. We, we hold out a stiff arm God and say, no, I'm not forgiving because I'm not willing to go to that place of pain. I'm protecting it. I think somehow I have to protect this wound. And we desire our own justice. We desire to carry it all out. And so we hold people's court in our mind. Judge Judy, that's you, on the throne saying, here's what's going to happen to that person. Here's what justice is going to be done. And we carried it out in our own mind, and we have this scorecard in our heart. And every time someone does something wrong, we keep score. They owe us. And here's the problem. When we sit on that throne and we judge them so harshly and we say, you owe me. You owe me. What we begin to say when it continues to manifest is you owe me, but you could never repay it. You could never repay the hurt that you've caused me. And so the only repayment that is possible is your removal from my life. And Sometimes it really hurts because that person is someone we love. And we don't want them removed from our life, and yet we can't stand to be with them. Sometimes when hatred manifests it so deeply from unforgiveness, we just want them removed altogether. We just want to be done. Make no mistake, you owe me is not language of life. It's language of death. There's this great story that I read once in um, The Sayings of the Desert Fathers. It's about 
this monastery where there were these monks, and one of the brothers committed a sin. And the other, his brothers, the monastery, thought, we need, we need to take care of this. We need to judge. And so they called the father, Father Moses, who was in charge of the monastery, and they said, you need to come. We're holding court here. You need to come. And he refused. He said, I won't. I won't come. And the priest who was there demanded it and said, listen, everyone is waiting for you. You must come. So finally, he found a water jug, a big crack in it. He filled it with water, and he began to carry this big jug with him. And it was just, I mean, there's water just pouring out of this jug as he carried it. And he carried it in with all the rest of the brothers. And they said, what is this? What is it that you're doing? And he said, my sins run out behind me and I do not see them. And you asked me to judge another. And with that, they forgave their brother and they moved on. See, too often amongst our own pain and our hurt and our own sinfulness, we're hardly qualified to judge ourselves, more or less judge that other person. And so we need to step off the throne. We need to allow Jesus to listen to Jesus when he says, don't judge. And in fact, what he's really saying in the context of Christ's entire teaching is don't judge, but instead accept this blessing that I want to offer you. Look what it says in Matthew 5 as Jesus points out God's blessing is waiting on the other side of those who forgive. It says in Matthew 5, this is from the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they are persecuted the prophets before you. This is from the Sermon on the Mount, and the whole Sermon on the Mount describes the characteristics of people in God's kingdom, people who want to participate in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says over and over. This is what their attitude's like, and this is what their life becomes like. And so it's really this whole passage is about how when people hurt us, when they offend us, when they say things against us that cause those wounds in our life, we are blessed when we forgive, when we follow Jesus' lead, and we forgive them, we open the doors to God's blessing in our life, for God's blessing to flow in. See, forgiveness, instead of judgment, actually invites the Holy Spirit to begin to work in us, to have free reign in us to bless us so that we can bless others. Jesus says, when someone offends you, God is waiting to bless you. And the greater the offense, the greater the blessing that writes on the other side of forgiveness. God rewards those who are hurt and offended. Think of it this way. When someone hurts you, you have an opportunity to offer forgiveness and get some special attention from God. Remember this one truth amidst Christ saying, the person who gains the most from forgiveness is the person doing the forgiving. That's the principle we find in that blessing, that you gain the most when you're the person doing the forgiving. If you really want to enjoy God's blessing, if you really want to avoid the results of what judgment does, then you need to listen to the instructions as it even instructs us in Ephesians 4. It says in Ephesians 4, 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for that day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Do you recognize these emotions? Because I do. And they come as the result of unforgiveness. When you're angry and you hold it against and that person owes you, you find yourself in anger and bitterness and malice and slander. And the journey is shorter than you'd like. It says in Ephesians that we are to be kind and compassionate with one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave us. According to Ephesians, unforgiveness leads to sinful behaviors. And those sinful behaviors, Scripture says, literally grieve God's Spirit. They cause God pain. We don't just forfeit our intimacy with God. We actually cause Him pain when we refuse to forgive others. What is that pain? It's it's this hindrance of God's Spirit to work in our life. It hinders intimacy with God, and it obstructs the work of His Spirit in our life. And so we can't move on because we don't even have God's empowerment to do so. The core truth here is this. Offering our forgiveness frees the Holy Spirit to be Himself in us to be fully free to give us His joy and His peace, to grant us freedom, to set us free in ways we can't even imagine so that we might bless others. You know, there's these hinges I have on this door at my house, and when you go to close the door, you you have to kind of lift up on the handle to get it shut, right? And um, it just adds character to my house so I don't fix it, okay? So these hinges are there on this door, and they're a bit like forgiveness, When those hinges are broken and they don't work, it's hard to get the door open to go to the next place. I can't get to the next room because i got to yank on the door and i got to fiddle around with it. But when the hinges work, the door opens to the next place in my life. And a lot of you have been stuck in the same room because unforgiveness is broken. And you can't get the door open. And you're, you've been yanking on it, but you don't know how to step through it. Your intimacy with God, your intimacy with others, it's all dependent on you forgiving, offering that forgiveness to others. Listen, there are people watching you in your life. And it's not just that person that you're forgiving. It's people all around you. And we, we call ourselves followers of Jesus who offered the greatest gift of forgiveness ever on the planet when he gave his life to offer us forgiveness and he had done nothing wrong. When we put him on the cross and he offered his forgiveness freely and the world is watching for that miracle again and that miracle happens when you offer forgiveness and you release the Holy Spirit to begin to heal you and work in your life and change you. God wants to bless you. He wants his life to flow through you in a daily way. He wants, he really wants those deep offenses to be opportunities to greatly bless you and to move you on and to have you experience his joy and his intimacy. But you have to be willing to do it. The other day, Pastor Rick and I were talking. He's preaching on the other campus and um, told me this story about his daughter, Julia. She's seven or eight years old. She has strep throat. And it's really bad, you know, like it's, it's to that place where it just hurts to do anything, you know, like it's just so sore you could hardly open your mouth. 
she came to the room in the middle of the night. She said, Mom, I, my throat hurts. I can't, I can't sleep. I can't anything. And so Jen got up and she said, well, how about we put a little throat spray in there? Julia said, no, Mommy, no, it hurts too much. I can't even open my mouth to let you spray it in. And so Jen got out the Tylenol and she, she got the dropper out. She said, let's just I'll put a few drops in your mouth. You can just swallow. We'll just let it slide down your throat. She put a drop in, and Julie just spit it out. She said, I can't, Mom. It's too thick. I can't swallow it. It hurts too much. And after having that conversation for a while, Jen finally looked at her and said, Julia, listen, I'm, I'm not going to force you to do this. I'm not going to spend all night having this conversation. I'm, I'm just going to set this medicine on the counter. This has the ability to address your pain. It has the ability to set you free so you can rest and you can relax all night. But you've got to take it. She walked out of the room and she went back to her bedroom. A little while later, she heard Julia's footsteps go down the hallway back to her room. And so Jen got up to turn off the lights. And when she went back into the room, this is what she found. A dropper full of medicine. Julia had gone back to bed without taking it at all. She felt like the pain was too great for her to make any progress towards healing. So many of us do exactly the same thing. We have been hurt so deeply that we say, I can't move on. God, I can't. I won't even go there. I, don't, I know you're offering this to me, but I'm just going to sit here in my pain because I, it hurts too much to go there. And I offer you this morning that Jesus offers you the solution. Jesus offers you the remedy. Will you take it? Or will you just walk away? I'm going to pray for you, and the worship team is going to come, and they're just going to sing a song, and I just want you, to, want you to soak in all that God has for you here. I want you to picture yourself at that counter and say, do I want it, or am I going to walk away? And then I want to challenge you, so let me pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that I pray that we would know the gift that you offer us, the blessing that you want to give us, the intimacy that is at our fingertips if we will just forgive, if we'll just decide to move forward. And I pray that over the next few weeks, and even now, this morning, will you give us the courage, will you enter in and speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit, even as you grieve, will you help us to grieve with you, that we might know you again. In Jesus' name.